The New Testament uses a number of different figures of speech to describe the church. The church is referred to in the New Testament as a family, as a flock, as a vine, as a bride, and even as a building, a building that's being built up. However, the figure of speech that is most often used in the New Testament to describe the church is a body, a human body. And for good reason, because all of us have bodies so we can understand exactly how a body functions. Someone I read put it this way. They said, we don't have to take a college course in anatomy to understand that feet walk, teeth chew, hands move, and ears hear. So we understand the body. And with this in mind, I'd like you to turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 12. I want to read to you verses 12 through 27, a rather lengthy passage. We won't get through all of it tonight, but this is the section. This is the paragraph. Paul writes, For even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I'm not a a hand, I'm not a part of the body, is it not for this reason any less a part of the body? And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, is it not for this reason any the less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary... And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. Now in these verses, Paul mentions the body 18 times. I know because I had to count it like three or four times just to make sure. 18 times. And the reason he does this is because he is comparing the human body to the church, which is the body of Christ, the body of Christ on earth. The Lord is in heaven, but the body of Christ on earth is the church. And he's doing this in order to illustrate that just as each member of the human body has a distinct, a very distinct function in the body, so each member of the church has a distinct function in the body of Christ. And by function, the apostle is referring to the fact that every Christian has been given a spiritual gift to use, to function, to execute, to utilize. This is the whole context. He's talking about spiritual gifts. Therefore, just as all the members of a human body need to function properly for the body to be healthy, so all members of the church need to use their spiritual gift or gifts 
for the church to be healthy. And folks, that was a big problem in Corinth, a huge problem. You see, the reason Paul says the things that he says in these verses is because the Corinthian church had a problem with some, some in the church being enamored with those spiritual gifts that brought the most attention to people, put them in the the limelight, specifically speaking gifts, oratory gifts, like the gifts of preaching, the gift of teaching, tongues, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge. These were the gifts that the Corinthians were coveting and they were seeking. But there were others in the church who recognized that they just didn't have any of these these much admired speaking gifts. They were realistic. They understood they didn't have them. And as a result, they felt inferior. They felt useless to the point that they didn't even feel that they had a meaningful part, a meaningful role to play in the church. And notice what Paul says in verses 15 and 16 and then in verse 21. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, it's not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, it's not for this reason any less a part of the body. Verse 21, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Now, in writing these words, the Apostle Paul is imagining that certain members of the Corinthian church felt exactly this way because their gifts were not particularly showy, not particularly attractive, impressive, and so they felt they just weren't part of the church. And as a result, they were seeking to obtain, they were coveting some more attention-grabbing spiritual gift. Using the analogy of the human body, they felt that they were just like, well, an ordinary hand. Nobody's terribly impressed with their hand or an unattractive ear in the church. Nothing exceptional that stood out. Nothing terribly impressive. They felt useless. And so they wanted a different gift that functioned in a more impressive manner. Because they didn't have the more attention-grabbing speaking gifts, they felt that they just weren't really needed in the church. They were useless, insignificant. And so they coveted the more showy gifts. Explaining the attitude of the Corinthians who felt that they were useless in the church and longed for some other more impressive spiritual gift and how foolish they were for doing this. Bible teacher George Gardner wrote this. He said, imagine if you can an ear saying, no one ever looks longingly into me and comments on how beautiful I am like they do the eyes. I will seek to be an eye. So the poor ear fasts and prays, prostrates itself, pours out its wax. That's a really funny line. Pours out its wax, seeking to be an eye. How ridiculous. An ear is an ear. God made it an ear and placed it on the side of the head. If it succeeded in changing into an eye, the body would be handicapped with poor hearing and embarrassed by three eyes. Listen, as silly as this sounds, this was the very attitude of the Corinthians. Due to their sinful pride that sought to obtain other spiritual gifts that got more attention, Paul has already emphasized in this 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians that God is the one who has already distributed these spiritual gifts. This is the point that Paul has made. Sovereignly, God has already distributed them. They don't need to covet these gifts. They can't get any other gifts. They already have the gifts that God has given them. Notice what the apostle said in verse 7 and then verse 11. He said, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. 
Verse 11, but one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. He's saying that it's already done. The spirit of God has distributed them already. And we'll see this truth again as Paul closes this chapter with verses 28 through 30 by telling the Corinthians that it is God who selects what gifts he gives each of us. He's already done this. Look at verse 28 and following. Paul said, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healing, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? Now, all of these questions that Paul asks are rhetorical. They demand a no answer. They demand a no answer. All are not apostles. All are not prophets, teachers, workers of miracles, workers of healings, tongues, speakers, or interpreters of tongues. And the reason for this is because just as there is diversity in the human body, in your body, in my body, with different parts of the body having different and unique functions, so there is diversity in the church in the body of Christ with each member uniquely gifted so that they have a unique function, a function that nobody else could do because they have a unique personality and are uniquely gifted. And that, folks, is the Apostle Paul's primary message in the verses before you, the remaining verses of chapter 12. Having already taught us that there are a variety, a great diversity of spiritual gifts that come from the very same source, the one Holy Spirit, and that the Spirit of God has given these gifts for the sole purpose of benefiting the church. From verse 12 on until the end of this chapter, chapter 12, Paul illustrates how members of the church with their unique gifts have a unique function in the body of Christ by comparing them to members of a human body and how each member of that body has a totally unique function. And the way Paul presents his teaching is by giving us a number of truths concerning how Christ's church, the body of Christ, Christ's church, the body of Christ, how it resembles, as I've said, a human body, with the first truth being this. Number one, that both the human body and the church are one body, but with many members. Let me say that again that both the human body and the church are one body with many members. We break in at verse 12. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. Now this verse isn't hard to understand. Frankly, anyone can understand this, and that's good, because what Paul says here forms the foundational truth upon which the apostle will build his case. And that case being that although a human body, and I know I'm repeating this because the apostle Paul repeats this, because this is for emphasis, that although a human body has a variety of different members with ears and eyes and nose and neck, hands, legs, feet, and upper torso, and all the various internal organs, it is just, with all those members, it's just one body. That's all, just one body. And that's exactly the way it is with the church. The church is one body with Christ as its head and all of its various members making up that one 
body. Now, the point that Paul is making is that the human body is one unit. One unit, even though it has many different parts. Likewise, the church is the one body of Christ, and it has many different parts too. Meaning what? Meaning all those who are born again. All those who are born again belong to his church. You see, when the New Testament speaks of the church, it speaks of it in two different senses. First of all, there are various gospel-preaching local churches, such as our church. We are a local church, and local churches who remain true to the Lord, who love the Lord, proclaim the gospel, they're all over the world. You can't even count them. There's scores of local churches all over the world, and they are made up of individual members who know Christ as their Lord and Savior. But secondly, there is what is known, what theologians refer to as the universal church, which is comprised of all true believers from all the various local churches around the world. And there's only one of them, one universal church. And it is this one universal church that Paul is referring to when he speaks of Christ and his church being one body. What Paul is stating is that every single Christian, without exception, is a member of this one universal church. Every true Christian belongs to the one body of Christ. Wherever they live, regardless of their background, regardless of their education, regardless of their language, if they know Christ, they're part of this one church. So regardless of how involved or uninvolved you are in your local church, regardless of how often you attend church or don't attend church, regardless of whether or not you are an official member of your local church or just an attender, if you know Christ as Savior, as Lord, then you are a member of his body, the one universal church. But having stated this as simply a fact, Paul now moves on to explain how this happened. How this happened, how you and all true believers in the Lord, how you became a member of Christ's body. How did this happen? Verse 13, for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Paul states that the church, remember he's not talking about a local church, he's talking about the one body of Christ, was formed when we were all, all true believers, baptized into it. Now, it's important to understand that Paul isn't speaking about water baptism. That's not what he's talking about. Water baptism is something that believers do after they're converted to Christ. as a public testimony of their faith in Jesus. But this baptism that Paul is referring to, it took place at our conversion. Not after our conversion, but at our conversion. And besides that, Paul states that all believers were involved in this baptism, but the fact is, reality is, that not all believers have been baptized by water. They should be. They're disobedient if they haven't, but some just have not. He's talking about all believers, all believers without any exception. So the baptism that Paul's referring to here in 1 Corinthians 12, it is something that is a reality, a spiritual reality for all true believers without exception and is a reference to something that happened to you at your conversion, namely, you were baptized in that you were placed or you were immersed into the body of Christ. And though Paul doesn't state it here, we know that it's Jesus himself who did the placing of you, of me, of all believers into his body. We know that 
because in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, John the Baptist said that Jesus would baptize with the Holy Spirit. He said, I baptize you with water, but there's one coming after me who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And so, the Lord Jesus himself, he baptized you, he immersed you, he placed you into his body by means of the Holy Spirit so that you are now united with him and you're united with every other believer, thus forming the one body of Christ. Now, it's by this spirit baptism that you entered Christ's body. And though you may not understand how this happened, because it wasn't something you personally felt, it wasn't something you emotionally or physically experienced, it wasn't something that at that moment you said, oh, I see something is happening to me. Nobody's aware of it at that time. Nonetheless, it is the truth because scripture declares it to be the truth. It happened to us because God said that it happened to us. Concerning this spirit baptism and our lack of understanding of how this happened, John MacArthur wrote this. He said, we're not told exactly how this is done any more than we're told exactly how God can give a person a new heart and a new life. Those are mysteries beyond our comprehension. But there is no mystery as to the divine roles in salvation. The Father sent the Son, the Son sent the Spirit, the Son is the divine Savior, and the Holy Spirit is the divine comforter, helper, and advocate. The Son is the baptizer, and the Holy Spirit is the agent of baptism. So listen, now we, we know that John MacArthur doesn't understand it either, so we, we all feel better about that. And so the primary point that the apostle is making is that having formed the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit, there is only, only one body, just one true church. There's no competing other churches, the one true universal church made up of all true believers. And that's precisely why Paul states at the end of verse 13, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one Spirit. In other words, there's no Jewish church. There's no Gentile church. There isn't a church for slaves and, and a separate church for those who are free. There's only one church, one body made up of Jews, Gentiles, slaves, free men, free women, boys, girls, rich, poor, educated, and non-educated. And all who are in his body have been made to drink of one Spirit. Meaning what? Meaning that the Holy Spirit indwells each believer. So very clearly, Paul has established the fact that the human body and the body of Christ, the church, they resemble each other in that each speaks of one body consisting of many, many members. And having established this truth, Paul now is ready to declare another truth about the body of Christ, how it resembles a human body. And that is that, number two, each member of the body has a distinct function that is both useful and necessary. Each member of the body has a distinct function that is both useful and necessary. Verses 14 through 17. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, it's not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, it's not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? Now, once again, and Paul, you can just see he's reiterating this to drive home his point. Using the analogy of a human body, Paul states that though a body is one, it has many members that make up that one 
body. And having stated this, Paul then addresses the real problem, the root problem that was going on in Corinth when it came to spiritual gifts. And that was that the people of this church were just not content with the gifts or gifts that God had given them. If they didn't have a showy, impressive, spotlight-grabbing speaking gift, they were jealous, envious of others who did have those speaking gifts. And Paul shows how not only is their attitude sinful, it's ludicrous. It's just ludicrous because with the human body, every member is important and useful and necessary. And he illustrates this by saying that even if a foot isn't happy being a foot and wants to be a hand, it still is a vital part of the body. And if an ear foolishly says, I'm not happy being an ear, I want to be an eye, it's still a vital part of the body. In other words, he's saying that there must be diversity of the various members of the human body because that's how a human body functions. Without this diversity, a body couldn't possibly function. And that's exactly the point that Paul makes in verse 17 when he says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? You have to have all the members of the body functioning, all of them functioning, the foot, the eye, the ear, etc. Otherwise, there'd be no hearing, there'd be no seeing, there'd be no smelling. Every part has a vital function. Otherwise, we say a body is disabled or it's abnormal or it's dysfunctional. Now, folks, the point that Paul is making is exactly what the Corinthians needed to hear and what we need to hear. You see, there are some Christians who don't see themselves as having an important role in the church. They look at others who are in positions of teaching or who are prominent in the church and they conclude that they really have nothing to offer the church because whatever gift they might have just seems to pale in comparison to others. And so what do they do? Well, they tend to attend church, but they don't get involved in the church. They don't participate in the church. They keep to themselves and to their family, and they don't get involved in any ministry to anybody else. They just don't feel they're useful. Listen, that's completely wrong, and it's sinful. It's sinful, it's self-centered, and it was the self-centered attitude of the Corinthians. They couldn't have a showy, attention-grabbing spiritual gift that put them in the spotlight, then they decided they were not going to be involved in the church. It's like saying, I'm going to take my ball and go home. I don't want to play with you anymore. The Corinthians, their attitude was they just stay in the background, sit on the sidelines, all the while being envious and jealous of those who had more prominent spiritual gifts. So I don't know what your spiritual gift is. I don't know what your spiritual gifts are. But I do know that God has given you a spiritual gift. And it is wrong of you if you don't use it, if you don't get involved in the life of this church because you think that it's not as important as others and nobody really cares. Nobody will really miss, miss my lack of involvement, but you're absolutely wrong. You're absolutely wrong. What if the eye of a human body just suddenly thought like that and decided, well, I don't think I'm as important as some other part. I'll just, I'll just decide to shut down and not function. How would that affect the human body? It would cause it to be blind and adversely affect the entire body. That's what happens when someone in the church says, well, I don't really think I have a whole lot to offer. I don't think I'll do anything. 
That's exactly what happens when you refuse to serve others in the church because you don't feel you have something important to offer anybody because you think your spiritual gift isn't particularly useful. So let me illustrate how important every member of the human body is and therefore how important every member of the church is by quoting something that Bible teacher Ray Steadman wrote in his commentary on 1 Corinthians. Here's what he said. Ray Steadman was not only a Bible teacher, he was a well-known pastor. He said, Once, after I preached at a conference on the East Coast, a doctor came to me and said, you may be interested to know that there's a part of your body that is absolutely essential to you as a preacher. You probably don't even think about it when you preach, yet you'd be lost without it. Is it my tongue, I said? My brain? What is it? No, it's your big toe. You're kidding me, I said. I don't use my big toe when I preach. Oh, yes, you do, he said. If you didn't have a big toe on each foot, you couldn't stand up to preach. Your big toe has the ability to sense when your body begins to lean too far and lose its balance. Without your big toe, you'd fall on your face every time you try to stand up and speak. Now, folks, you may be the big toe of this church. (laughs) Or you may be the little pinky toe that nobody pays much attention to. But you are a vital part of this congregation. You're a vital part of this church for the overall health of this church because you have been placed here by God and you are uniquely gifted to offer ministry that no one else can offer. So beware of any jealousy in your heart towards others in the church. You're you're not in competition with anyone else. And and don't have a pity party thinking, oh, woe is me, I don't have much of a gift. God has gifted you exactly the way he wanted to gift you, and God has gifted others exactly the way he wanted to gift them. And that is precisely what Paul proceeds to say in the next verse, verse 18. But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body, notice this, just as he desired, just as he desired. Once again, comparing the human body to the church, Christ's body, Paul says that God in his infinite wisdom constructed the human body so that each part of the body, each member of the body is exactly where God desired it to be so that it can function properly. That's why you have eyes in front of your face and not behind your head. This is why you have ears on the side of your face rather than somewhere else. It's because God knew what he was doing. David said, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. God knew what he was doing when he framed the human body. And that's also true for the way that God has constructed his church. See, God knew exactly what he was doing when he placed you in his body and he gave you the exact spiritual gift or gifts that he wanted you to have so that you would fulfill a vital function in the church. Something, as I said, nobody else could do. Nobody has your personality. Nobody has that unique blend of gifts that you have. Nobody has that background that you have. So it is absolutely wrong. It's sinful to not use your gift or to be jealous or envious of someone else's gift or to feel that you're just useless in the church. That kind of an attitude, frankly, it is an insult to God because it accuses him of really not knowing what he's doing, of not being wise, of not being good. 
and to not be involved by using your gifts to serve others in your local church is actually rebellion towards God because he is your sovereign head. One Bible teacher put it this way. He said, a Christian who doesn't have a ministry is a contradiction. He is disobedient and denies the right to use him in the way he intends and for which he has gifted him. When we refuse to follow God and God's plan, we deny his authority and lordship as well as his wisdom and goodness. As members of Christ's body, we are not to do our own will, but the Lord's. The arm does not have one will, the foot another, and the eye still another. Each is controlled by the head, the mind, will, and spirit. It's possible for the body to be so remarkably coordinated only because it is directed by one will. One will tells each part of the body to do what is best designed and equipped to do, and consequently, they work in marvelous harmony together. How much more should the Lord Jesus Christ control his own body, the church of which he is not only head, but creator? So, beloved, you are vital to the health of this church, Lakeside Community Chapel, and God has placed you in this body of believers for you to use your spiritual gift to serve us. Each of us has a role to play for the church to be healthy and to function normally. And it has to be this way. It absolutely has to be this way. Otherwise, the church wouldn't be the church, which is exactly what Paul says in verse 19. If they were all one member, where would the body be? Paul reiterates what he said in verse 17. If the whole body was only an eye or only an ear, where would the body be? And the answer is, well, you wouldn't have a body. That's where it would be. It wouldn't be. For a body to be a body, it needs multiple parts to function. That's exactly the way it is in the church, the body of Christ. For the church to be the church, it needs you and the role you play to function. So get active, get involved, use your gift to serve others for the glory of God. Now tonight, it's a call to make sure that all of us have the right attitude about the Lord, about his church, and about those who make up his church. If you think you don't have to serve in the church, then your attitude is really wrong towards the Lord because he has placed you in this church to function by using your spiritual gift. So it is a it is an issue of obedience. It is an issue of rebellion against him if you don't do this. And if you think that the church doesn't need you, then your attitude towards the church is wrong. You have an important role to play in this church. Whether you see it or not, I'm telling you that's the way it is. And if you are jealous or envious of others in this church because they have a more prominent type of gift than you have then, and you think you're just unnecessary, then you're wrong. You are needed because without you, this church is handicapped. Now, if you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, then you are outside of his body. You're not a part of the one universal church. The only way to get in it, we're not talking about a local church, we're talking about the body of Christ. The only way to get in it is by turning from your sin and turning to Christ, trusting him for salvation. At that point, unbeknownst to you, you don't feel anything, He takes you and he places you in his body and you are a vital member of that body. But first, you need to repent. You need to turn to Christ. You need to fall upon his mercy to save you. I urge you to do that. If you'd like to speak to someone about this, then just see me as we close the service. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for the word of God being so honest with us. 
Thank you for the Apostle Paul, led by you, inspired by you, controlled by you so that his, his pen said these things, wrote these things that we need to hear. Lord, this is so relevant for us. There are so many in the church who don't think that they really need to do anything. They tend to feel at times intimidated. They don't know where to serve. They don't know what to do. Others are active doing things. And so they sit, they listen, they go home. That's their involvement. I pray that you use tonight's message from your word to change their hearts, change their attitudes. Give them, Lord, the drive, the motivation to do something, to be involved, to find out where they best can serve. And I pray for any who just feel that they're useless, that there's nothing they can do. Lord, I pray that you'll correct that. And I pray that each of us will fall under your sovereign lordship and just say, Lord, use me any way you see fit. Because it's not about us. It's about obedience to you. It's about loving others. It's about serving others. And Lord, I pray for those who don't know you, who are outside of you. Perhaps they've been listening, perhaps for months, for years even, to live stream or have been here on a Sunday night, but they've still never repented of their sin, never submitted their lives to Christ, never yielded to Him, never trusted Him as Lord and Savior. They're running their own lives. I pray that that'll change. I pray that you'll open their hearts to the gospel and bring them in, bring them to you. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.